Welcome everybody to today's episode of Kissing the Cod. Um, we're very fortunate to have a special guest with us. Uh, Hamish Sanderman is the Project Geo Gold with the Geological Survey of Newfoundland and Labrador with the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. And Hamish, uh, welcome. Thank you very much, Janet. It's, it's my pleasure to be here and welcome to my shed. I, I love your shed. So um, I, I see it's got everything covered, maps, so geology, probably rocks, some wood. Uh, I see some fishing pants too. Uh, yeah, there's pretty well everything you'll expect to see in a shed here, except for uh, maybe some sort of heating device. <laughs> but it's a nice day today. Beautiful here. Yeah, it's wonderful. Summer seems to have arrived, maybe a bit early. Uh, it's unusual to see mid-20s at this time in June for sure. So I'm happy to see it because my plants are growing. Nice, nice. And and you are in Tor Bay near St. John's? Yes, that's correct. I live just north of St. John's, about a 10 kilometers or so. Um, I grew up here and uh, moved away for 20 years and decided to move back here when my family needed it. So now I call this home. Okay, so uh, did you go to school? Uh, there or did you go away to school? Uh, yeah, I was I was born here in Newfoundland and Labrador at the Grace Hospital for many who might know, uh, no longer exists, but uh, my folks moved here in the early 50s uh, after the war and started jobs here, started their lives here. So I went to school um, in St. John's just because of the way the education system was at the time. And then I went to Munn Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador, did two degrees there, uh, and then moved to Queens uh, at, in Kingston, Ontario, and did my PhD there. So nice. that's kind of my educational history anyway. So I moved away from Newfoundland in the late 80s and returned in uh, the late 2000s. So when were, when were you at Queens? What years? Uh, from 89 to about 96. Uh, I took the maximum for my PhD because I really enjoyed being a student, I guess, and many people do. And also, you probably remember well, the early 90s were pretty uh, slow for, for jobs in geology in particular, and certainly in university settings, very, very slow. So, um, yeah, I stayed there until I got offered a job at the Geological Survey of Canada in 19, late 96, 97. And, and that's when I started doing, uh, where my career moved on, I guess, and started doing more regional mapping and uh, regional geochemistry at very, very broad scales for the survey. And where, where was that located? Uh, well, initially it was in what they call the Western Churchill province in uh, west of Hudson Bay, uh, looking at the Hearn and Chesterfield domains there and the Ray block and the Greenstone belts and their metal endowments, uh, the geochemistry of the host rocks and the ages of the host rocks. Uh, so I did spend a bit of time at the Meliodine camp, which is now Agnico Eagles. And uh, I didn't get to Meadowbank, but I was north of there on the Committee Bay belt, um, which is also a very exciting gold exploration area there as well as diamonds and you can see that's on my ball cap uh, that's what i used to do um, 
as well, looking at diamonds and, and uh, mantle-derived rocks. That was my subsequent job, however, at the, uh, it used to be called uh, Indian and Northern Affairs Canada, but I worked with the Northwest Territories Geoscience Officer for three years, and I also worked in Nunavut in Iqaluit for three years at the Canada Nunavut Geoscience Office. So I've seen lots of Northern Canadian rocks um, uh, in the shield areas, gold endowed areas, granitoids, spent a bit of time at Hope Bay as well, which Agnico Eagle recently purchased a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I've seen quite a bit of the Arctic and took me a while, but I moved back to Newfoundland and Labrador, which is where my heart probably always was and, and uh, where I'm now based and very fascinated to be involved in this very exciting sort of gold rush here in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. So, so you and I took a, a bit of a, we have some um, common ground. I went to Queen's University as well. I, I graduated before you were there for your PhD, but I, I kind of took an alternate path after school as well and, and decided to go up to the Yukon and pay off my student loan and summarily forgot to leave. Um, but I lived in a, a town called Farrow, which was a lead zinc mine. Uh, in the middle of the Yukon, and about two thirds of the population was from Newfoundland, and uh, it, it was a, it was a great place to live. I, you know, I just hundred percent employment. You know, all the the great things that come from uh, a healthy community. And uh, but I'm curious. Um, so, what what where did your parents move from in the fifties? Where did they they're, live? Uh, they're from Scotland hence my name, Hamish. Uh, and Sandeman, believe it or not, is uh, people probably know it for um, port and sherry, perhaps. You can buy Sandeman port and sherry. That's a, a Portuguese offshoot of the Sandeman family. It's quite an old name, but we don't have a huge number of progeny on the planet, I don't think. Uh, but there's a long, um, long genealogy behind the name. And most of my direct ancestors were uh, ministers for the Church of Scotland. And uh, my grandfather was born in China because his parents were uh, ministers. And then on the other side of my family, my mother's side, um, which I take after more actually in terms of build and look, they were um, all gardeners and farmers until my grandfather who became a, uh, he became a uh, school teacher which is me and did geology, which is maybe where I got my okay. flavor for geology. I was, I was curious about why geology, but that, that a little bit of background there, but what was it about geology that drew you into uh, getting your PhD is a, is a huge investment. So what was it? Uh, well, collecting minerals as a kid, my parents took me on a trip, uh, or all of us uh, on a trip across Canada in 1973 in a, truck camper and I collected minerals and then I went through a school system back then where geology geoscience earth science is what people took if they couldn't do chemistry physics or biology um, so they did a general science course and uh, so I got to Mon and I did geology right away and loved it and never looked back quite honestly I just moved on from there and continued doing geology nice nice well other, other people have uh, 
more of a challenge finding what they love. You're very fortunate you found it so so quickly. And um, curious, talk a little bit about what it is you do at the uh, geological survey. Uh, well, um, you know, for me, it was a big change moving from tromping 10 to 15 kilometers a day, uh, trying to cover a one to 100,000 to one to 250,000 map sheet a year. Uh, so, and, and I was trained as an igneous petrologist, geochemist, and um, not as an economic geologist. I did some, obviously, in school. So it was new to me, but once you learn how to apply research techniques, then it's just the problems are different, that's all. Um, so I moved here and just started off, uh, you know, to be quite honest with you, I, I didn't want to tread on any toes. And there were certain areas of the province that were far better understood and had had far more work done on them. Bayvert, for instance, I've, I've seen lots of places on Bayvert. I worked there in 1988 with Naranda Exploration. Um, but I did, uh, um, I, I hadn't really focused on mineral exploration. So um, when I came back here, I decided not to tread on toes. And I, um, I knew some people working in the industry here. There wasn't many, but you know, Paragon Minerals, Rubicon, uh, David Copeland. I knew David from previously. So I contacted him and he showed me the, at the time they were uh, doing a lot of work on the Jacklin vein system. Uh, uh, just south of Badger. So I went in there with Dave and he sort of showed me the rope, gave me access to all of his core. And, you know, in two weeks, I was able to generate a, a couple of current researches out of that, which are kind of like small BSC theses, you know, you write it, write it up. So, um, and then I just kind of moved on from there. Tim Froud, uh, Dave Evans, I know those guys because they were in school at the same time I was. And Paul Moore of Buckins Minerals, all those people, we've all, you know, we've kept in touch. And so I've gone and looked at some of the ground here and there. The difficult time, uh, Janet, was before now, there were really very few active trenches, very few things to see. So trying to revisit some of the early 90s, like the Keats zone. I, I went in there and looked, but you know, a quartz knob uh, and a, an overgrown trench and no active drilling and it, there's no support. So um, I stuck with things that had never really been worked on much before. And that's kind of the way I've continued. And at the same time, uh, seeking to further my knowledge of the whole geotectonic setting of the island of Newfoundland and trying to read things, examine what questions are in, not fully answered or need to be readdressed. So that's, what, that's how I've been spending my time, basically. That's what my job is, in my eyes at least. Writing reports, yes and seeing things, but at the same time, trying to increase our knowledge and, and trying to disseminate it to the public as best we can. So, and, and I want to be clear, because sometimes people shorten Newfoundland and Labrador to Newfoundland. So, I, 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 and I, if I do, I apologize. Uh, now, you work both places, or are you more focused on the island? Uh, presently, I'm more focused on the island because uh, of the you know, huge amount of interest and, and amount of 
uh, expiration dollars being spent there, quite honestly. Um, but, you know, in 2010, um, Labrador has two known gold showings that have been drilled. Now, it may have, I don't think they've drilled in Florence Lake. I think, it, yeah, I think it's still that two known gold showings prospects that have been drilled and returned significant values in drill core. And that's the VBE showing in the Torngat Mountains. Um, Buckins Minerals used to have that. I'm not sure who has that now. And the Acoin prospect, which is in the Hopedale block, in the Western Hopedale block. So there are gold showings there, but the amount of exploration that has been uh, undertaken for gold exploration in Labrador is minimal. It's probably the most pathetically explored for minerals, in particular gold, some other ones, rare earths, uranium, nickel, yes, more so, diamonds even, um, but gold, there's been very little done, and that's for a number of reasons. One is because of the different uh, types of exploration rushes that have occurred, such as Voises Bay or the uranium from the Aurora mineral days. Oh. I believe the two showing gold showings that were discovered were both discovered because of nickel exploration. Mm -hmm. So it just goes to show, keep your eyes open, never just look for one commodity, especially in such a greenfield, greenfields area like Labrador. And mm -hmm. the one thing about Labrador is of course it's remote, so it's expensive to work in, but it, it really has had very, very little mineral exploration compared to most places in the world nowadays, I would think. Hmm. Well, it can't be any more remote than a lot of Northern Canada, correct? Or are there different types of challenges? Um, well, one of the challenges is uh, the coastal nature, like Labrador is largely coastal, except for Western Labrador. And uh, you do get a lot of fog, uh, if you get a lot of low systems coming through just south of Labrador, you get all the all of the cold, cold north uh, east wind blowing in, creating fog. So I never did actually finish, but I was there in 2010. I was there in 1986 working for Andy Kerr of the Geological Survey at the time in the Makovic area. And I've also been up there in 2018 and 19 working on the Hopedale project. So yeah, I've been there. I've seen the rocks and and there's lots of really excellent mineral potential of many different types there. But but Labrador is a challenge because of the coastal nature. Uh, depending on the weather, you can get stuck in places for a week. Uh, but it's also expensive because everything comes in on barges mm -hmm. or fresh produce on planes. And, and you know, it's it's uh, it's part of the difficulty of working in remote areas. In a way, coastal Labrador is a lot like, uh, you know, Nunavut, a lot of the northern communities in Nunavut. So things are more expensive, your season's shorter, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Maybe let's talk about what's going on on the island of Newfoundland. There's, it's, I don't know where to start with this because it, it kind of goes in two phases of where we are in the rush right now. So maybe, you know, just from a high level, what's going on there? Well, um, you know, we went from 2018 uh, where there, well, 2016 really was where it really started to pick up. And that's when Sean Ryan started to, excuse me, started to acquire some ground, both in Newfoundland and Labrador. 
And a number of companies picked things up. Some had moderate success, others dropped it. But really it wasn't until 2018, um, you know, when the Queensway action started to happen and then the Kingsway, that things really, really picked up. And you just need to look at the claim stake map between 2016 and now, and you can see the huge difference here. John actually, he was the first guy there. And like, we'd had a few majors looking at Marathon around then as well. Um, but Sean came in, we had long chats and I've had numerous long chats with him on the phone since then. And, um, you know, all, uh, all just him floating ideas off me and me saying, yeah, as far as I know, there's a fault there and et cetera. He's, he's a brilliant guy. But anyway, he started it. And, and then we had a few companies come in, they came and left. And then the Queensway action started to happen. And then things started to pick up. And of course, Moosehead, Tim and those guys, 2018, they, they were already kind of had that property and they were just, that just motivated them more. And all those great results started coming out. And now there's, I don't know how many, Janet, you probably know better than me, 60, 70 companies looking for gold in central Newfoundland. Plus there's other things starting to pick up as well. So that's positive for Newfoundland and Labrador. And um, yeah, so for me, I'll put it into perspective. Um, from 2009 to 2018, I visited maybe five exploration camps over that time. So that, you know, I, I mean, I went and looked at trenches when they weren't there, but I had five invites and collaborative meetings. And in 2018, uh, I had four. And then in 2019, or maybe last year there was six so you know it's been a real boon for me because being able to see new drill core in places where i scratch my head looking at a bog covered surface um and seeing trenches it's it's wonderful because you just if you don't see those things at the surface before you see the drill core you really you don't you don't understand the third dimension very well and uh, so it's been a real boon and i hope it continues certainly for the province as well as for uh, continued success and wealth and uh, and also for me to keep being uh, you know involved for sure you know, i i had a good chat with rich goldfarb and he sees uh, newfoundland as one of the two best places, one of the two jurisdictions that provide the best opportunity for economic discoveries in the world, uh, Newfoundland and Finland were his two. And uh, he really sees that with the amount of work that's going on, uh, there'll, there'll be more discoveries and uh, the understanding is growing. And, and what I like that I see is that there's a lot of information sharing between companies which then just advances that discovery phase further. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, 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 that's why I like doing, I was glad I could do this sort of thing. And I, I like being able to uh, sit in on your Newfoundland.gold meetings and, and even some of these six IX things that you see on the web. Um, I saw the, the um, Greenfields uh, discoveries thing with three of the Newfoundland based companies. I thought that was great. 
And, um, you know, I, I just, I think it's, I obviously, you know, I, I don't have a forward looking statement thing that's flash in front of you, but I've been looking at these rocks and scratching my head, especially, you know, Marathon Gold. They've been just diligently plugging away for a decade plus there. You just need to look around other places all over the planet. Uh, take Sabina Gold and Silver in the Back River uh, project in Nunavut. I mean, those guys have, Bruce McLeod and that group have been at that for 20 years plus. And finally, it looks like they might have a mine on the go, right? So uh, gold mining, finding mines and bringing them to operation is a really slow and arduous process. But some of the exciting news we're seeing here now and um, some of the really huge amounts of drill core that are being drilled, you know, 400 kilometers of drill core, right? Think of that. And that's only one company. That's probably more than it was drilled in 10 years before in Newfoundland and Labrador. So, um, yeah, it's astounding. So, and just knowing the rocks and the environment, and uh, I think there will be more discoveries, especially with the more modern techniques that are pe people are now applying using AI in, and, and, but also following basic grassroots prospecting, banging rocks is what it comes down to taking soil samples understanding what you're taking till soil you know second till first till the the glacial geology in newfoundland is quite complex and uh but you can figure it out and you, and you can see through it when you understand what you're doing so i'm expecting to see some good things um i'm hoping for sure uh but you know, time will tell, Janet. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm. You know, I know not not everything will be a winner, but I think there'll be uh, a lot of of good things that come out of this season for a number of companies. Can Can you talk a little bit about the complexities complexities of the geological setting? The one thing that I hear a lot about is is the till cover, and I think if you can explain some of that, it would I think really help people. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I mean, I've given a number of talks. I gave a talk at the PDAC recently, and, you know, it's very difficult to get it across in 15 minutes, but the the island of Newfoundland and Labrador as well is very geologically complex, numerous different tectonic domains, but the island of Newfoundland itself is quite complex. It uh, basically... It, it, North America grows from the west to the east over about 250 million years during the tectonic evolution. Um, and there are little blocks all thrown together, but those blocks are all moved around uh, as time goes by. So it's a movement along those blocks that create, new, create the, the places where gold bearing fluids and also other metal bearing fluids can come up and mineralize the rocks. So tectonically, Newfoundland is very complex um, in terms of the bedrock, but yeah, the surficial geology and really I'm not a surficial geologist, but I work with uh, Heather Campbell, who's an excellent surficial geologist and Jennifer Oregon, and these guys understand it better than me, but you know, the, the bottom line 
is that um, Newfoundland had its own central ice cap and, and went, so there's flow in many different directions away from the center. During the main glaciation, it was probably linked to the main ice, uh, ice fields in central Canada. But anyway, that central Newfoundland ice sheet retreated. But as it retreated, there were some areas that retreated faster. And it doesn't just retreat, it retreats and sends out new ice tongues and things like that. So you have complexities in the types of materials deposited. You have complexities in the ages of the materials deposited. And a later ice flow can mask you know, the primary signal of the bedrock source. So it, yeah, it's very complicated, but it can be worked with if you look at it and understand it. And quite honestly, I think that shows with some of the, some of the company work, looking at these things, looking at till geochemistry, but also looking at um, the uh, number of gold grains within the till itself. So uh, that's very important. And if you have gold grains, which are, gold doesn't crystallize in a nice form, so it usually has a very irregular shape. And if you have gold grains that have a hyper, let's say you get 10 gold grains in your till sample, and eight of them are like really irregular in shape, then that means that material probably did not travel very far by the glacier. So through combining different techniques, you can, you can, you know, work around this till problem for sure. And some of the work done by many of the companies demonstrate that because they've located in situ gold bearing vein systems. And that's, that's what really matters when it comes down to it. Interesting. In my, in my mind, it's, it's, um, it's simple. Uh, I don't have the understanding you do. Um, the till cover um, means you can't necessarily see it as easily as you know. Walking some places, there's less till cover, less ground cover, so you have to understand how to get through the till in order to make the discovery. That's right. Yes, it's it's like having a it's like having your vegetable bed. Um, covered in a blanket and only the vegetables you recognize. You know, there's a bunch of turnips sticking through holes. That's okay. the bedrock, but the rest of it, you don't know what's there underneath it. And it may be covered in six inches of till, or it may be covered in three meters of till or eight meters of till. Um, and that becomes much more difficult. Okay. And, and till can be anything from boulders down to silt and mud and clay. So, uh, you know. That's a gen generic name for till, surficial materials. I, I apologize to my uh, surficial materials colleagues. <laughs> no, it's, I'm, 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 I'm learning a lot. Um, now, and the one thing that comes up a lot is um, structure is key. So there's a number of, and you know, I am not a geologist, so I, I speak in layman terms, but there's a number of structures through the, through the island. Um, and what people are finding is where there's a cross structure, they're having success in making discoveries at that point. Is that, is that a fair high level explanation of what's going on? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is um, nothing wrong with it. It's just, um, you know, if you want to put it couch in a little more geo geological terms, mm -hmm. 
I mentioned earlier that the island was constructed from west to east through time. Now I'm talking 500 million years ago to 380 million years ago. So over that period, period of time, all these small chunks of microcontinents came together and were amalgamated to North America. So there's big faults in there between each of the each of those microcontinents, but after they were all amalgamated, they were then shuffled and moved around by secondary faults. And those secondary faults or transcurrent fault systems and their subsidiary faults are the ones that appear to be the most um, prospective for mineralizing fluids. Mm, okay. When, when I, Ed, I, I like looking at a map of the island and then you, you see the lakes and then the lake like takes a, like a 90 degree turn. I, and simplistically, I look at that and go, well, what made it turn? Right. And then that's what you're talking about. What's going on below. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, faults, um, faults are usually, uh, usually where you want to find information to figure out what, how one block is moving against another. But you almost never see faults because faults are made up of, if it's near the, near the surface or the upper crust, faults are commonly this gougy, clay-rich, ugly material which will weather extremely quickly. If you're deeper down, faults may be preserved better because you start to form well foliated rocks that are strongly, have a very strong fabric. Um, so you can see them, but most of the faults we're dealing with in Newfoundland, uh, the island of Newfoundland are more of these brittle or upper crustal faults that we see at surface right now. So they almost always, as you suggested, erode easily. And therefore, the lakes and river systems commonly follow those things. So you're absolutely correct from that point of view. And the mm -hmm. same thing applies to cross faults. Not always, but commonly you can see linear topographic features. If you have um, Landsat or LIDAR in particular, you can quite easily see some of these later cross-cutting features. Hmm. Now, there's different uh, eras mineralization too correct like um if queensway is is experiencing very high grade nuggety gold which gets everybody excited mm -hmm. um but it's very complex and takes a lot of drilling and, and valentine lake is uh, a lower grade gold but it's very steady and uh, less less intense drilling in order to build up a resource and understand what's going on so different mineralized eras um, well, uh, there's definitely, you know, there's a number, what you're getting at, I think, Janet, is they're, they're, the really exciting ones are the, you know, the high grade gold vein system ones, uh, and that's Queensway, Kingsway, uh, Prospector Metals, the Titan showing up there, a number of them are like that. Um, but, you know, um, there are also some excellent targets. And in fact, you know, the Pine Cove mine that's been operating for 10 years plus on the Bayvert Peninsula is a low grade, um, more dispersed deposit 
they've employed hundreds of people for 10 years mining this, and they've been very successful. And they have now have a number of other lower grade, um, large uh, bulk tonnage, I guess would be the term, um, deposits. And uh, Valentine Lake is kind of a cross really between the two, the number of deposits there. Um, there are lower grade wide intercepts, but there are also narrow high grade vein systems as well. So it's kind of a, a, a ballot. There are no really broad veins at Valentine Lake that I've seen. But um, yeah, they they have kind of a good balance of both, and they have a n number of deposits, so of different, uh, slightly different tenors and and grades. But I mean, it's along, gosh, I don't know, thirty kilometer strike length or something now. So mm -hmm. and they have open ground to the north of there that they've barely explored. So um, yeah, there's two really two different types uh, that people are looking for, and there can be things in between as well. And like I say, Valentine Lake's kind of in between. There are other um, there are other deposits that have resources that are you know being expanded as we talk. Uh, for instance, Magna Terra, the the APSI zone in the Great Northern Project on the west coast near Soft Arm. We've known about that for quite a long time, uh, since the 90s. It was maybe drilled in the 2000s last, but again, it's a low-grade dispersed bulk tonnage target. But when you drill wide intercepts of a gram or two grams or something, and you have some higher-grade zones, and you know that's a mine in a lot of places. So, uh, yeah, there's a number of different targets, and uh, there are there are lower-grade targets uh, that may be bigger. And there are high grade targets that may be smaller, but when it all comes down to it, it's all about balancing and, uh, you know, what do you put into the mine mill to make it the right amount to make a good profit and keep everyone happy. And I think, I think it's going to work. I hope anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, in the end about profit, right? It is in the end about profit for, for us here in Newfoundland and Labrador, it's also about, uh, responsible mining and uh, and about employing our people as best we can because uh, we you know we do have kind of a resource-based industry which they're trying to change and uh, they're doing a great job at it at the moment and but if we can get some new mines in central Newfoundland uh, even the exploration is causing an incredible boon uh, for Gander and Grand Falls and other places so uh, it's it's wonderful to see, and that's really uh, my main objective is to try and see if we can keep it going on for as long as it takes to get a mine, essentially, at least one. Yeah, to get through that, that what you see in a lot of places, that boom-bust mentality uh, yes. with exploration and mining, and um, I think you get... You get a profitable situation you get out of that boom bust but it's um it's a, a challenge everywhere but lots of local businesses uh growing with this as well i would hope um i i think uh certainly um you know my main comment on that would be directed at um just trying to find accommodation in the gander area uh it's not always just tourists it's uh, for instance i used to stay at the Misty Creek, uh, Misty River cottages in Glenwood, Appleton. And uh, I haven't been able to go there for years now because it's full of drillers or 
other people working for companies, which is it's great, great for mm-hmm. central Newfoundland. I'm pretty sure the food uh, supply industry and whatnot is doing well. Um, and certainly every young geologist I know that I've been involved with since I've been back here is employed and working for somebody. So things like that are really, really important and great to hear, quite honestly. Yeah. And people coming home from places where they've been working either uh, out in Alberta or um, I, I, I know when I was in Faroe, they had been to Pine Point before. And when Pine Point shut down, everybody moved to Faro. But it, it, the, the whole talk all the time was, you know, want to work at home, want to work at home. So I'm, I'm really happy to see a lot of people able to fulfill on that. Um, can we talk about the geological survey? I, the, I hear a lot of positive comments from people in the industry about the, the government and the progressive government. And often the geological survey kind of gets lumped in with that. But I think it's important to talk a little bit about the work collectively uh, your team there is doing, because at a time when many governments were cutting budgets, uh, there were changes made at the geological survey to improve services that I think really helped support the exploration boom that you're seeing now. I've heard compliments about the the amount of information that's out there, the online staking. So, you know, can can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, um, I was not here when this, the GeoAtlas, that's really what you're talking about. That's the GeoAtlas for the province of Newfoundland and Labrador was developed uh, a while ago, um, but it was developed by the Geological Survey of Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, we maintain that still, and we add assessment report information whenever it becomes publicly available. Any new maps, any new uh, geoscience information that we generate is available through the website. It's linked to the GSC, the Geological Survey of Canada as well, so you can get a lot of their things through our website. Yeah, uh, and we also get from uh, mineral development and mineral lands, which are the more regulatory aspect of, you know, exploration. We get from them uh, the sort of uh, claims layers and, and, and things like that. So the survey does all the maintaining and we try and populate it as best we can uh, with, like I say, with the resources we have available. So. Uh, yeah, that's what the survey does. And, and uh, you know, to make it clear, we, we go out and we do regional till surveys, we do detailed till surveys, we do specific studies on uh, ice flow directions and the materials deposited associated with individual uh, periods of ice flow and times of ice flow. Uh, we do bedrock studies, bedrock mapping, um, we do mineral deposits investigations on numerous different commodities. And we also do um, geophysical surveys, for instance, hopefully in the near future, uh, the Gull Lake survey will come out, which was done uh, just over a year ago. And that's right in central Newfoundland where kind of newfound goals and uh, exploits and a whole group of other people, all their claims come together. So. Uh, yeah, those are the sorts of things we do. We try just try to make it as um, 
as available and as rapidly as we can and make it uh, all the information there for, for anybody who wants to use it. And, and I've heard so many compliments about the work. So, you know, my, my kudos to everybody at the geological survey. I, I, I also think that the online staking, which I had not come across before um, and COVID combined uh, at a perfect time to allow the staking to happen without causing you know, transmission issues with COVID um, and, and allow the province to, to benefit from that now with all of the work. So um, I, my, my, my opinion on online staking changed uh, with this experience. <laughs> good, good. All I, all I remember, like I have little to do with that, Janet, but I remember working in Nunavut and uh, um, walking to my office past um, the mining recorders office and, you know, it's minus 25 and there are people in down snow bags sitting outside the office uh, all night just to get in the first, get the, you know, prospecting permit for that piece of ground. and. I was like, oh my God, there must be an easier way to do this. Freezing. <laughs> yeah, we've been part of doing it the other way. I, this is this is good. And and it, and it really speaks to the change, changing um, uh, job of a prospector. You know, I think there's this, people have this um, uneducated view of a prospector, somebody with a raw camera and, you know, out, out hitting the ground, which is a part of it. But there's a whole scientific approach that these people are taking. And I, I, having spoken with a number of them, they, they're using all these tools in order to target in. Oh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, they, they haven't done it for a few years now, but they did have an excellent prospectors course through the government of Newfoundland and Labrador. And, and uh, I know a lot of a lot of the people that you may talk to, and certainly Gary admitted he he uh, you took a veil to the prospectors course. And um, yeah, there's a lot of good prospectors here uh, because a many of them started out back in the Naranda days and even before that. And b uh, they've kept going and they've trained a whole new group. And with the government training new people. Uh, there's a lot of prospectors. They're all like really go get them. You know what I mean? And that's great to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm slowly, as, as we talked about before, I want to get a lot of the prospectors on the, on the podcast working around their, their season, but we're, we're getting there. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that we've not talked about that you'd like to talk about. No, not really. Uh, I mean, I've rambled on about myself and rambled on about what I do. Um, I'd really like to thank you on behalf of, you know, the survey, the geological survey and the government of Newfoundland and Labrador for having me here. It was, uh, it was great. I think what you're doing is wonderful too, having this group of diverse people, all their backgrounds in here um, and uh, helping expose Newfoundland and Labrador. It's wonderful. Oh, thanks. You know, I think it's just an amazing place. And um, I, I, I really think that um, people hopefully learn about this region of Canada and how much it, it, it provides to the economy of Canada and, and, 
and the, and the social fabric. You know, there's just it's just there's amazing people out there, um, and I'm happy to to keep meeting them. I'm learning a lot too. That's the really neat part about this is every person I talk to, I learn more and more, and I I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all that, but you know, it at least makes me a little bit more educated for the next call, right? Right on. The one thing I will final, finally say is um, this is our come home year. So uh, uh, we're all hoping that everybody comes back to see their families. So it may be even busier than last year and uh, hope everyone enjoys their time when they come back. And are we gonna see you on the island soon, Janet? Oh, definitely. Uh, we'll be there in August, September. Um, and I've already got a few of the prospectors offering to take us out fishing, which I'm excited about. Um, and the other thing that I'm really keen to, to learn more about is, um, uh, as Newfoundland was its own country, uh, the, the, the mint, uh, the coins, the stamps, um, I have a few of them, uh, not coins, but I've been learning about the coins. And uh, so I wanna come see some of that. D Tim from Sockman showed me some of the coins and uh, I have a few of the stamps at home too, so. Well, one of my colleagues, Bruce Ryan, he's a big stamp and coin aficionado and a great historian. So maybe you should look at trying to get him on Kissing the Cod. Uh, definitely, I'll get you to give me his information after. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Hamish. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, when we're out there. And, Sounds great. Uh, Get out and see a few of the project and kick some rocks. Sounds great. Thank you, Janet. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time on Kissing the Cod.